The Sash Waite Murder Case Late on the night of March 20, 1927, Mr. and Mrs. Albert Schneider slept side by side in twin beds in their house in a quiet middle-class neighborhood of Village, Queens on Long Island, New York. Miss Snyder heard a noise upstairs that woke her. Going to investigate, she found a large man just outside her bedroom door. He was speaking in a foreign accent to another man, whom she could not see. Before she could react, she was seized and beaten so roughly that she laid unconscious for six hours. Then, the giant and his compatriot went to Mr. Snyder's bed, strangled the man with a picture wire, and bashed his head in with a giant sash weight. The two killers then robbed the house of jewelry and fled. They left behind a clue to identify them in the form of an Italian-language newspaper downstairs. The story was a mystery because when a doctor examined Miss Snyder, he couldn't find any bump on her that would explain the six hours of unconsciousness. Indeed, he found no injuries at all. Perhaps he suggested at first that the trauma of the event and not an injury had accounted for her unconsciousness. Yet the police were more suspicious than confused. For one thing, the house showed no sign of forced entry. Also, they weren't exactly a wealthy couple, so it was an odd target to steal jewelry from. The detectives additionally found it curious that the husband slept through the entire violent shuffle outside the bedroom door. Additionally, the nine-year-old daughter, Lorraine, was asleep in the room across the hall and had heard nothing. To add to the confusion, the police thought it was strange that burglars would break into a house and then stop to read an anarchist newspaper before going upstairs. Oddest of all, though, was Miss Snyder's bed, which was tidily made and hadn't been slept in, despite her claim to have been woken from the noise. She was unable to account for this, citing her concussion. As detectives puzzled over the anomalies, one of them idly lifted a corner of the mattress on Miss Snyder's bed, and there they revealed the jewels that she had reported stolen. Thus, all eyes turned to Ruth Snyder. She met the detective's gaze uncertainly and then broke down and confessed to the crime. But she blamed it all on a brute named Judd Gray, who was her secret lover. Ruth was placed under arrest and a search was begun for Gray, and the newspaper reading public of America was about to become uncommonly excited. Hello all and welcome to episode 13 of Everything But the Kitchen Sink podcast. Today we will be discussing the Sashwaite murder case of 1927. The reason for doing so is not entirely just because of my obsession with true crime. I have chosen this case because of its larger significance to not only the 1920s, but the reporting and consumption of crime. Murder is murder is murder, and it happens every day. What makes certain cases stand out is how they are unique or reported or catch our attention. Although largely forgotten now, the Sash Waite murder case was one of the biggest of the 1920s and played an enormous role on how Americans viewed crime thereafter. Okay, now that that part's over with, let's continue with the show. The 1920s was a decade for reading. The radio had yet to really take off, so reading was the primary method, method for distraction from idle time. 
Not only were books being produced in enormous quantities, but magazines boomed as well. For example, these made debuts in the 1920s. Reader's Digest, The American Mercury, Smart Set, The New Yorker, and Time Magazine. Yet, above all, the 1920s was the golden age for newspapers. 36 million copies of newspapers were sold each day in the United States, or 1.4 newspapers per household. What helped spark this boom was a switch in formats. Newspapers moved away from boring headlines to the tabloid setup. They were filled with crime, sports, and celebrity gossip. The more salacious, the better. Even the most serious and conventional newspapers were becoming conspicuously more like tabloids. The New York Times even started covering murder and other juicy stories. This was because they sold newspapers. And what sold the most newspapers was the Sashwaite murder case. It received more columns in coverage than any other crime of the era, and it was only surpassed in 1935 with the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Now, trials in the 1920s were speedy. Judd Gray and Ruth Snyder were arraigned and indicted by the grand jury and in court just barely a month after their arrest. A carnival atmosphere descended upon the Long Island courthouse. 130 newspapers from across the nation sent reporters. Western Union installed the biggest switchboard they'd ever built just for the case. Newspapers would print as many as eight articles per day on the trial, and if anything riveted, riveting was disclosed on the day of the trial, a nightly special edition was rushed into print. The story of the murder began ten years earlier, when Snyder, the lonely, balding magazine editor, became infatuated with his office secretary. Roof was 13 years his junior and really not attracted to him. But after their fourth date, he offered her a gumball-sized engagement ring where her modest defense crumbled. They were wed four months later. The period of wedding bliss was short-lived, Albert longed for quiet domesticity while Ruth wanted the bright lights and gaiety. Within two days of marriage, she revealed that she didn't even like him, and so began ten years of a loveless marriage. In 1925, she met Judd Gray, who was a married, traveling salesman and began a relationship. He was a strange villain. He had terrible eyesight weighed 120 pounds, and called Ruth, Mommy. Weird. (laughs) When not cheating on his wife, he taught Sunday school and sang in the church choir, raised money for the Red Cross, or played with his young daughter. Ruth needed a way out and tricked her husband into purchasing a $100,000 double indemnity life insurance policy in the event that he met a violent end. So, She then started trying to kill him, but she wasn't very successful. She put poison in his whiskey, crushed sleeping pills into his food, gave him mercury tablets, and even tried to gas him, but Albert, it seemed, was indestructible. Desperate, she turned to her lover for help. He set up an alibi in Syracuse, New York, and traveled down to New York City. The plan was for Gray to creep into the marital bedroom and smash Albert's skull with a sash weight. 
yet things didn't go exactly as planned. Gray's first blow only woke up Albert. Confused but enlivened, Albert rose and began choking Gray. As Gray was choking to death, he managed to scream out for his mommy. At that, Ruth seized the sash weight from her lover and smashed her husband's head. She then took tablets of chloroform and put them in her husband's nose to knock him unconscious. Gray then strangled him with a picture wire. The two then went through the house and opened drawers and made it look like a robbery had occurred. Then Gray loosely tied Ruth around the ankles and wrists, arranged her comfortably on the floor, and in what he considered his most cunning touch, he left an Italian newspaper on the table downstairs so the police would conclude that the intruders were alien subversives. With everything in place, he kissed Ruth goodbye and returned to Syracuse. Interest in the trial was widespread. Everything about it was reported in the newspapers. From the judge's home life to Ruth's lawyers, Luth's connection to the ghost ship, the Mary Celeste. Largely, the papers were spouting the familiar motif at the time, which was a ruthless, ambitious woman who commands the submissive male. Ruth Snyder was held to be the guilty party and Judge Judd Gray the hapless dupe. The papers worked hard to portray Ruth as an evil temptress. She was called the human serpent, the ice woman, the Swedish vampire. Nearly all reports dwelt on her good looks, but that was delusional. She most certainly not was, <laughs> wasn't good-looking. If you Google her, she was definitely not this uh, beautiful, ruthless, gorgeous woman who was a m criminal mastermind. She was 36, plump, haggard, and worn-looking. Her complexion was blotchy, and her expression was cold. Gray, for his part, looked like an aged professor who seemed perpetually startled, like he couldn't believe any of this was happening. Most surprising was that they were caught and convicted. During the 1920s, only one quarter of all murders were solved. In Chicago, out of 500 murders, only 125 led to conviction. In America, nearly nine-tenths of all serious crimes went unpunished. So for Ruth and Judd to be accused, convicted, and later executed, it proved that they were outstandingly stupid. After one hour and 40 minutes, the jury found both guilty of murder in the first degree. The only punishment was death. So why was this case so significant? Well, firstly, it was the way in which the newspapers latched on to the story and created much of the narrative for the public. There were other more exciting murders, yet this one struck a chord. You probably never heard of the Sashwaite murder case, but trust me, you are familiar with it nonetheless. The novelist James N. Kane was so taken with the newspaper accounts that he used it as a central plot device in two of his books, The Postman Always Rings Twice and Double Indemnity. Both of these were made into movies, which created the Hollywood film noir that really was a foundation for Hollywood melodramas throughout. Judge Gray was executed on January 12, 1928. He was the first one. He sat smiling in his cell when the warden came for him. He had received a letter from his wife who forgave him. 
he told the warden that he was ready to go and that he had nothing to fear. Ruth Snyder followed her lover just minutes after she watched the prison lights flicker, signaling that the switch had been thrown for the electric chair. Reporters remembered that, as she was being led to the electric chair, that she had said days before that God had forgiven her and that she hoped the world would, too. Now, some fun facts about this case. You can actually see Ruth Snyder being latched, or actually she is sitting latched in the electric chair, because a reporter had snuck in, well, he had snuck in a camera through his leg, and he was able to take a picture of it, which was then grimly put on the front cover of a newspaper. You can actually see her, uh, if you just Google it, her strapped into the electric chair right before the switch is about to be pulled. So really, really grim stuff. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening, and I'm sorry about having missed last week. The semester, brand new semester, started at school, and so I was a little behind. This is short as well, but don't worry. Very soon we'll be getting back to the way of everything but the Kitchen Sink podcast has been before. Longer episodes, more history, a lot more violence, a lot more gore, a lot more good stuff. Thank you all for listening. If you want to talk with me, find me at AndersonClay86 on Twitter. Uh, rate, review, and uh, share with your friends if you like the podcast. If not, you know, that's all good too. All right, have a good week.